On this week's TribCast, we'll talk about the latest University of Texas, Texas Tribune poll. But before we do, I'd like to thank our TribCast sponsors, Texas Children's Hospital. Join patient families and Texas Children's expert physicians on a journey to save lives. New episodes every Tuesday. Learn more at texaschildrens.org slash podcasts. And the American Heart Association, which thanks the lawmakers who voted to raise the tobacco sale age to 21 in Texas. Hi, this is Ross Ramsey here on Thursday, June 20th with a pollster edition of the Texas Tribune Tribcast. I'm joined by Josh Blank, Jim Henson. They're both waving to audio <laughs> listeners. This is great. And Darren Shaw. Hello. There you go. How about that? As always, we'll take questions from listeners in real time on Twitter and Facebook. You can ask us questions by using the hashtag, hashtag Tribcast. Um, I want to start at the very top of this thing with the president's reelect numbers and how the Democrats look. And, you know, at the very beginning of this 2020 race, where's the reliably solid red state of Texas? Anybody? Professor Shaw? Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, uh, we've been kind of noodling with these numbers for uh, a, a week now. And, uh, yeah, I think there's some bad news and some good news to flip the traditional way of assessing the side. I mean, Trump's overall numbers are 52% approve, 44% disapprove, um, which is, I guess, sort of reversed from what you see nationally, right? Where he's at about right. 44 approve and 52 disapprove. So, you know, it's about what you'd expect, I think, in a, in a conservative Republican-leaning state. Um, you know, if you're, so the bad news is, I think, uh, you know, being plus eight with a very strong economy in a conservative state uh, doesn't necessarily bode terrifically for the reelect, and that's manifest in the relatively high percentage of people who say that they definitely wouldn't vote for Trump. You'd expect him to be in the double digits in a safe state? You know, I think uh, with, with what were we at, about 4% economic growth, right. um, GDP, uh, with uh, no unpopular wars, uh, you know, yeah. without anything specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what day is it? Um, <laughs> As of 10, 10 right. 12 on Thursday. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> and with no state-specific things pulling kind of one way or the other, although right. we'll talk about some of the tariff numbers in a little while. Um, you know, I'd expect him to be, yeah, close to double digits uh, on the plus side of approve, disapprove. Um, and I think this just speaks to something we've talked about repeatedly as, as Trump has ascended and, uh, you know, been the president. Uh, and that is that he, he sort of underachieves a little bit in the state of Texas. And, and my particular explanation is I just don't think the, the president's particular brand of republicanism is a very good fit for Texas. And I think we see that in some of the particular issues we talk about here, immigration and tariff uh -huh. These are things that play well with certain elements of the Republican Party nationally. I don't think they play very well in Texas. Okay. When do you want to jump into that? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about, you know, I, I think I agree with most of, of, of what you said there. I mean, you know, I, part of it is I think, you know, we're kind of in this, in this moment maybe of, of some flux in some way where I think there are sort of competing narratives around what is popular in Texas and what isn't, right? And I think to some degree, you know, that's a reflection of, you know, what, what looks like an electorate that everybody has expected to change in the long run, showing more dynamism in the short run than I think people were prepared for, right? So, I mean, on the one hand, I think a lot of what Trump does plays really well in Texas, I mean, especially among Republican voters. And we see, right. you know, across the poll, if you identify as a Republican, you're pretty likely to approve the president's job performance. You're pretty likely to, you know, express support for re-election. 
um, you know, and really to agree with most of the president's policies and to rate them highly across, you know, a range of, of areas, trade. Both policy and personality. Yeah, policy, you know, trade, right. the economy, et cetera. Yeah, and personality-wise, too. I think, you know, what you're maybe starting – so, I mean, so on the one hand, I think what he's doing works, right? right. In the sense it, and it certainly works, you know, if you're running an election in Texas in – 2010, 2014, you know, 2008, 2006. I don't know if the Texas of 2020 necessarily looks that way where you can rely solely on, you know, Republican, there being more Republicans than Democrats alone right. is enough to sort of win you elections. And so I think just as his policies are extremely popular amongst, I think, Republican voters, the share of Democratic voters who seem to be aware more aware politically, right? And there's some other numbers I think point to that. You know, it just seems to keep increasing with the relentlessness of national politics and the nationalization of politics. And you know, in a way that you know, I think that's what you end up seeing is producing these more mixed numbers. Now, in the end, all that's going to matter is what actually happens in the election, which is way far away from now, right? And how well the parties mobilize, you know, their respective voters individually. Who honestly is the Democratic candidate for Senate and for president, and, and how that plays with Texas. But I mean, I think, you know, but part of the bigger picture here is I think, you know, there's sort of, we're in a moment where the interpretation of what the Texas electorate look like looks like is like, well, what, what do you think, who do you think is in the Texas electorate right now? Right. Yeah. I mean, quickly in terms of Trump and Republicans, I mean, I would observe his job approval in Texas is significantly higher than 52, it is, right? than it is nationally at 5244. I mean, I think if they had those numbers nationally, they'd you know, be dancing jigs up and down Pennsylvania Avenue, right. or, you know, the, the Trump White House would. So, well, maybe they're, I, I maybe just, they're new pollsters. I, I just for fan, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, I think you know the you know the ambiguity that, that Josh is talking about. I mean, I, you know, as we Darren raises the trade numbers, you were talking earlier. We were talking before the podcast about moving toward the twenty twenty election, right? I mean, the big question to me is, you know, how do we think of what happened in 2018, which closed a lot of these gaps and changed our expectations, or at least led us to question our expectations about what that baseline should be right. in terms of Trump's lead and where Republicans are vis-a-vis Democrats. You know, is that going to be, it feels to me like 2018 and 2020 are linked right now because Trump was such a presence in the 2018 election. And we're going to see that again in 2020 and that, but I don't know, we don't, I, I don't think we know what the, how that's going to translate and what that's actually going to look like. Yeah, I mean, there's a case to be made that that's going to increase Republican turnout. There's a case to be made that's going to increase Democratic turnout, or yeah. both. And and, and and if both are true, then you know we're back going. Yeah. Well, one of the things, Josh, I think you pointed out when we were talking about the numbers this week is that we've kind of come to expect doing these polls and looking at the Texas electorate that independents will look more like Republicans than like Democrats. And in this poll on some of these issues and some of the Trump issues, they look more like Democrats. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out, first of all, for, for people you know who aren't really into this stuff, is when we talk about independence here, we're talking about people who identify as independents and we ask them which party they identify with. And then further, we push them and say, okay, but like, really though, which party do you lean towards? And the people we're talking about when we're talking about independents are the ones who say, even when pushed, no, 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 I'm an independent. I don't identify with either party. Right. That's usually about 10%. Of the My flag is not pool. a flag. Right. Yeah, exactly. And truthfully, most of the time we kind of say, you know, what really defines these people honestly is, is usually a lack of engagement in right. a lot of cases. Um, but having said that, some share of them do vote. Historically, we haven't really had any reason to pay a huge amount of attention to them because, you know, really if the race isn't super competitive and you've got, you know, Republicans expected to win by 
eight, nine, 10, 20 points, you know, what the distribution of opinion is amongst this, this sliver of the electorate really doesn't matter. What's interesting in this poll is one, you know, historically the independents do look more conservative, do look more like Republican voters. Here we did see, you know, more independents being more critical of the president uh, than we would normally expect given that kind of underlying attitude. And also, I mean, it's something that we should pay more attention to because if we do think, you know, we expect some close top of the ticket races, all of a sudden that distribution of opinion could actually come into impact the outcome. Let me let me just jump in here real quickly again on this notion of there's some good news and some bad news. Right. But even with respect to independence, if you ask independence, are you going to vote for, you know, definitely vote for Trump or definitely vote for somebody else? Um, Josh's point is exactly right. 45% of independents say they're definitely going to vote for somebody else. Only 26% say they're definitely going to vote for Trump. Right. But that question's, you know, we refer to it, it's akin to what we call the Jesus question, which is there's not a flesh and blood Democrat <laughs> yeah. there. You're, you're just sort of saying, you know, Trump versus the field in some right. sense. If you look at the approval numbers, though, 47% of independents approve of the job that Trump is doing, 40% disapprove, right? So it, a little bit of a lean there. Yeah. Um, you know, with Hispanics, the same sort of thing. I, I'm, I was fascinated by the Hispanics numbers where you got 52% so they're definitely going to vote for somebody else. Um, 8% said they'll probably vote for somebody else. Well, that's 60% non-Trump. Right. Well, that's 40% possibly voting for Trump. Um, right. And the approval numbers for Trump amongst Hispanics are 42% approve, 53% disapprove. If, uh, to Jim's point earlier, if you told the White House that you were having 42% approval nationally amongst Hispanics, they would be absolutely thrilled with that. More, so, more jigs in the streets. Here right, so it, it gets to this point. It's very early. He doesn't really have an opponent yet. He's just got a bunch of people vying well, yeah. to be uh-huh. the opponent. Let's, and, let's plug an opponent in. We had 23 well, possibilities that's true. here. That's, yeah, we got time. Yeah, nice work. Um, <laughs> so the, the first thing that jumped out at me about the – we listed all 23 Democrats. One of the questions was, have you ever heard of these people? Um, and the interesting thing to me was that um, after the top, I think it was the top 10, um, nobody had 50% name ID. Right. So nobody knew who the heck they were. And in the top 10, there were some, some laggards. Um, and then when we asked a, a ballot question, who would you vote for if the Democratic primary was today? We just asked Democrats this. Um, the two names that poked out were one was a former vice president. One, was, one spent $80 million last year making himself known to Texans, Beto O'Rourke. Um, and the former mayor of San Antonio is not doing very well. Can you talk about this field and, you know, what kind of formation you have, if any, in, in voter opinion here? Yeah, I mean, I, I, one of the things that struck me about this, you know, we we use this periodically on the podcast, upon the podcast, and we should probably retire it soon, but, the, you know, Texas is part of the United States. and this We can't looks, say that anymore. Right? And this looked a little bit like... You know, like the like the national numbers, but you know right. the way that that the field's been running, but with the you know with O'Rourke running, you know about 10, 12 points better here than he is in most national polling and in other states. Right. You know, so I mean, I think in terms of the formation, I mean, we've talked about this before. Josh and I were talking about this off camera, and you know, it's interesting how as much as we hate this notion of lanes, when you look at the internals here. O'Rourke all of a sudden has gone from being the liberal counterpoint to Ted Cruz that kind of gave rise to him to being kind of more in the center left zone of this field if you look at where his support is coming from. So he and Biden are kind of drawing from the same pools. And then you've got Sanders Warren drawing from the other, kind of more farther to the left end of the spectrum. Right. Which looks a lot like the, you know, the rest of the country. Um, 
but I but doesn't look but you know and and doesn't look too distinctly Texan. And you mentioned Castro and O'Rourke, and we might as well just you know put it on the table that right. if part of the rationale for those candidacies, and certainly part of the appeal that they have got to be making to raise money, is that they can put Texas in play. This is not this is not helping that argument, and it's it's significantly hurting it. I would argue, and it it does set the stage. I think particularly for O'Rourke to need to do something to put some gas in the tank in the debates that are coming up. Right, right. Yeah. I, I think to build on Jim's point, I mean, I'm always really interested in the uh, people who say they're extremely enthused, people who are at the very end, high end of the, uh, you know, kind of engagement spectrum. Right. And if you, you look at those, Josh did a very nice breakdown of those voters. Um, I think, you know, initially you might think that, uh, well, Biden would do less well, you know, that Biden's the kind of guy who appeals to casual voters who don't really know what's going on. Actually, Biden does better amongst With people. With most say, enthusiastic. Yeah, he, he's 20, amongst people say they're very enthusiastic, he gets 20. Amongst people say they're extremely enthusiastic, he gets 26. Hmm. Uh, O'Rourke gets 19 amongst people say they're very enthusiastic. Only 10 amongst people say they're extremely enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. And, and since primaries tend to be, you know, we, the true the, believers, right? Yeah, they tend to be the true believers. I, I, some of the internals here, on the other hand, uh, Warren goes from 13 amongst very enthused to uh 18% amongst extremely enthused. I, I think the numbers here, uh, actually, now Texas, you know, we all know it's proportional representation with respect to the Democratic primaries. And right. so I'm not sure how much extra money I'd spend advertising in Dallas and Houston, um, given the fact it's only going to be worth an extra delegate or two probably. Right. But I, I think these numbers look very good for Warren. And that's, that's yeah. the both, yeah. you know, we were talking earlier about how Texas at this point is a microcosm. There doesn't seem to be a native son. I mean, I, I look at these numbers if I were Castro, and I keep reading stuff from Latino decisions and other outfits saying that he just needs to, you know, he's about to break through. Well, he's at 9% amongst Hispanic Democrats. In Texas, in right? Texas, in right. Texas. Um, well, it looks like, you know, the Castro thing, it looks like they, A, there's a large number of people, although, you know, he does better than non-Texas unknowns, but he's there's a large number of people here who really don't know who he is. And as you say, there's not much support. Is this campaign going anywhere at all right now. I mean, there's a lot, you can say all kinds of things about, you know, do you just wait, you know, watch and see what's going to happen. But so far we've been watching and waiting and nothing's happened. Yeah. I mean, I flagged O'Rourke for the debates. I mean, Castro, you would think is an even more dire position on that. I right. mean, but it's almost, you know, I mean, I guess there's nowhere to go, but up, but I, I think right. the how is a little problematic still. Yeah. And I think at some point you have to question whether, you know, people are interested. I mean, it's not for lack of trying. I mean, right. he's certainly, I mean, look, if you think about it, so just to put some some meat on these bones, I mean, the thing that we're really referencing here is that, you know, we asked specifically whether people had a favorable or unfavorable opinion of both O'Rourke and Castro's or both the two Texas candidates in this race. Right. So that's why we selected them. And we've asked about them before on this item, including uh, at the beginning of this year. And so after, you know, four months of campaigning, a bunch of policy proposals, I mean, real attempts to break through. And some national media attention. And that, no, I no, mean, well, it's not like... No, he, and national media attention right. attended to those things. I mean, people, it's not as though the press isn't covering Castro. I mean, no, again, there's probably relative coverage and all that stuff, but I'm saying, but he's he's definitely put his best foot forward. He's at a Foxtown Hall. Yeah, and he wants, yeah, and he wants to move those numbers. And we had 42% of uh, Texas voters who couldn't offer an opinion of Castro, positive or negative, in February. We have 41% who can't offer a positive or negative opinion of him in June. That's the same thing among Democrats. It was 43% couldn't, 41% couldn't. It's pretty similar among Hispanics. He's not, I mean, it's, it's interesting that sort of four months of intensive right. campaigning and, and you know, basically saying the breakthrough's coming, the breakthrough's coming. If that were true, I think we would expect 
to see some movement here, to see some more people saying, right. oh, I've heard of that guy. Yeah, I like him. Because really, this is a pretty low bar. We're just saying, hey, do you favorable unfair opinion of Castro? Right. It's not asking a lot. It could be one thing. You could say, oh, yeah, some housing thing, right? Yeah, just yeah. seems to be kind of idling right now. But he's just idling. Yeah, yeah. Let me uh, take a break here before our next topic. I'd like to thank two more TribCast sponsors. The Texas Farm Bureau, big isn't bad and small isn't better. It takes farms of all sizes and the families behind them to make agriculture work. More at texasfarmbureau.org. And the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, whose vision for Texas is to be the national leader in treating people with mental health needs. Visit texasstateofmind.org for more. I want to talk generally. There's a lot of stuff in this poll, and you know, I would encourage people to go through the whole thing. We put the cross tabs up on the website today and all of the questions and everything. But uh, this offers a little bit of a kind of a, a read on the political mood of Texas as we go into the, as we come out of a legislative session and as we go into a big election year. One of the things I noticed about the, and I think one of you pointed it out actually, about the voters' view of the legislature is that voters like the property tax education legislature more than they liked the bathroom bill legislature two years ago. Uh, the numbers have flipped there uh, from generally or overall negative to overall positive. But they weren't particularly strongly in support of some of the things that the legislature did this time, and they looked like they were receptive to some of the things that the legislature left off the table. Can you talk about some of this? Well, I mean, I think I would say, you know, to go to the agenda piece, I mean, just well, to lay out, just to give the numbers in which we were talking about, you know, the overall Texas leg uh, approval of the job the Texas legislature did, you know, pretty good for a legislative body, really, 40... <laughs> 43 positive, you know, 43 approved, 33 disapproved, which is about where they were after 2015. They stink a lot less and than much Congress, better, right? And much better, 10 points more positive on the approval number than they were after the end of the last session in 2017. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. You know, in terms of the issues, I mean, I, you know, there may be a little more nuance to that. I don't, you know, going into this, we knew that they were interested in the things that the legislature talked about. Right. In terms of public education and property taxes, right. I don't think they were unhappy. I don't. I don't think this tells us they're unhappy with the agenda. I think it tells us that there's some skepticism about the results. Yeah, to I, the extent that people are aware of. Them. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. With that. I mean, one of the things are you know we usually sort of we ask about approval and disapproval in, in intensity too. So we say somewhat or strongly. And I mean, and one of the notable things here is though approval and again you know, disapproval of the last session was not surprising given the way that the last session ended. I mean, just for all parties. Parking lot for all part, Yeah, play. I mean, for all right, parties involved. Two special involved, sessions, right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's not surprising. And so the fact that we saw a rebound when they've, you know, made a really concerted and vocal effort to focus on on important issues is, is sort of not surprising, but there wasn't a lot of intensity in that approval. I mean, I think it was only 6% of Texas voters strongly approved of what the legislature did. Right. And I think when you look at some of the other numbers, I th you know, part of it comes down to is the legislature attempted to deal with some really big issues. And, you know, I mean, anyone who follows this regularly knows that, you know, most of the time it, it takes a couple sessions to get things right. And I think, you know, you could say, well, they already did that. They had the school finance commission, you know, they had the last session, but you kind of, but I mean, you kind of look at these numbers and I think what you see is Texans saying, yeah, that was pretty good. Yep. But I'm pretty, I'm, I'm not really sure it's going to matter. We asked, you know, basically, you know, so what do you think is going to happen to your property taxes? And most Texans think, you know, they're probably going to stay the same or go well, up. Nine percent thought they were going to come down. Oh, I think right. that, you know. Yeah, which is, which is not wrong, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing about that. I mean, in some ways you could say it's a glass half full, glass half empty kind of thing. I mean, that's not wrong. But the fact is, is you know, for they all- said it was 90% empty. <laughs> yeah, well, but for all the, well, yeah. 91%. Right, right. <laughs> 
I mean, for all the back clapping and handshakes and press conferences, right. I think Texas voters are actually being pretty reasonable here and kind of saying, look, you know, you, you moved around how the money goes into right. school finance without really like doing any sort of, you know, let's say some of the major transformative changes that were talked about. I'm not saying people were paying attention to these things, but that was the, where we started, right. right? And in the end, you know, yeah, you're giving voters more say in property tax increases, but future property tax increases. And if, you know, the beginning of the session, part of the clarion call was property tax are too high, people are being taxed out of their homes. Well, this isn't going to change that for anybody. Right. Right? I mean, so, you know, how excited should people be? I don't know. I, I think uh, the legislature did something this session hasn't done in a long time, maybe in my memory, which is it, it took on, with the exception of border security and immigration, which right. are always at the top of the agenda, it took on the major issues that Texans are concerned about. You know, it, it struck me the last two or three cycles that they've spent an inordinate amount of time on issues that are probably interesting to partisans and where right. the Republicans in particular thought they had a, an opportunity, uh, whether it's voter ID or, you know, I remember the abortion. Things that would debate, move voters around in a Republican bills, primary, right? Right. But, but I don't think would have scored very high on anybody's list of the most important problems facing Texas. Right. That was, I, I, in my opinion, that, that was much less true this time. Um, and, and maybe because voters were attentive to not simply positions on these issues, but prioritization. Right. Um, yeah. And so the, you know, uh, funding K through 12 and higher ed to a lesser extent were, were big on people's agenda and they took positions that, you know, seemed to do pretty well with the public. They increased spending. Uh, they dealt with property taxes, although Josh is right. I mean, you know, I, I think, I don't think there's much contradiction in what voters thought. Voters thought that, uh, you know, yeah, property taxes are too high. We want the ledge to do something. We're relatively approving of what the legislature did. We don't actually think that's going to keep our property taxes from going up, which is reasonable, right? They capped the rate mostly. I think, I think that's the point here. I think the point is, I, I think they got credit for the agenda that they chose right. to take on. I'm not sure that, I mean, it's possible that they're just not going to get credit for what they actually did or that, you know, what they actually did is going to take time Right. To actually, you know, become something that voters are aware of in a way that, you know, so, and that could happen later. We could find later that, you know, voters are really happy with what and how this changed school finance or whatever. But right. there's no indication of any instantaneous bump based on the actual output, mm -hmm. my, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, you know, the, le the legislative process tends to be pretty <coughs> incremental. Right. This was you know, maybe an increment and a half comparing you know, kind of Darren's impression that, you know, they don't really do stuff. They haven't really done this high visibility stuff. It could even be two increments. It's been a while, you know. I mean, right. but, I mean, they, you know, maybe I'm being two in the tank for the Texas legislature. I mean, you know, but the stuff that they did that was significant over the turn, the last decade was not the kind of stuff that show up on polls. But, yeah. you know, when they did water, when they did transportation, right. I mean, right. those yeah. were things that were important for the state and, right. and were responsive to growth and some needs that were pretty immediate. This is marquee stuff that moves the needle a little bit theoretically, right. but it's also harder, yeah, ultimately. Same. Well, right. it's harder both for the legislature, but it's also harder for voters. It's complicated, yeah. right? I mean, and that's the other piece of this. You know, you, you, you move some extremely restrictive abortion legislation, for example, people know what they think about that, right? I mean, it's right. not hard to say like, okay, you know, now all these abortion clinics are going to close, so I know exactly how I feel about what the legislature did. Right. When it comes to something like this, where it's like how the money gets routed to the schools based on a set of, you know, 
just a, a million criteria shifts in the different color pennies. Yeah, and like, and we, <laughs> you know, you know, as pollsters, and we talked with you about this a bunch, like how we even ask about property tax reduction when we're not talking about property tax reduction. We're talking right. about property tax revenues year over year on non-new property. I mean, you know, yeah, stuff that only fits on six-foot bumper stickers. Right? Exactly, and so I mean, so <laughs> right. this is, I mean, so to some degree, part of it is also the fact that these are just hard issues for voters to to really understand, especially when again a small share are paying attention very closely to the legislature. Right. Right. We had one issue in the poll that I thought was interesting on a in a in sort of a sideways version of it. We asked voters about abortion, uh, whether the state should disallow abortions after six weeks. This has been an issue that in a number of conservative states, Mississippi, Alabama, Ohio, um, that legislatures have adopted. Uh, we had a clear plurality in favor of this, 48%. Republicans particularly like it. And the legislature um, intentionally stayed away from this issue while they were working on other things. So they had a popular thing, sort of of the type that you're talking about, Darren, yeah. that have animated previous previous sessions, and they stayed off of this one. Well, you know, I would I would actually disagree a li- just a little bit, Ross, and it's just a degree. And sure. Republicans particularly like it, but it's not some huge win. I mean, this Republican support was 68-25. Right. And that 25 number is interesting because if you go to our – usual baseline abortion question that spreads it over, you know, four points from basically never available to what to broadly, you know, right. You know, more or less always available, you know, only, you know, only 21% of Republicans say abortion should never be available Mm -hmm. in that, in that item. And that's a little bit on the low end of what we see, but it's generally between 20 and 25%. So, you know, Darren said this, I think was quoted in the article and I agree with this that, you know, of the clustering of attitudes is between those endpoints. And the six-week abortion ban is just one of a series of both legal and political tests that we've seen right. policy-wise where, you know, you approach absolute prohibition, but you don't get there because you know it's too far. Right. Yeah, and also, I mean, it would have been off-message, right? I mean, to some degree, you know, we're not, you know— if the read of you know the 2018 election was that Republicans had a suburb problem, I mean the subread of that was that they had a specific problem with women in the suburbs and college-educated women. And I mean, and I'm not just you know not to say that college-educated women have a uniform opinion on you know abortion restrictions, but if you look at a lot of the other things that they try to do this legislative session, you know, making groping a stronger crime, you know, dealing with the rape backlog, uh, you know, rape test, kit, rape rape kit backlog, backlog, right. You know, and there's a couple other things that kind of fall into these sort of buckets of things that were really directed at, you know, addressing gender inequities in the state. This was not really on it was that. A little ma- dissonant. It that. would be dissonant, right? right? I mean, right. yeah. Well, and they've already taken a bite at this apple, uh, you know, and it, it basically propelled Wendy Davis, uh, yeah. you know, to national uh, notoriety. I, you know, I think that uh, what's happened with the abortion debate generally is it's these sorts of restrictions on abortion. I think would have tested really well two, three, four years ago. In other words, they, they seem like, well, you know, uh, some sort of estimate to, you know, establish a baseline of viability. Right. Right. After which point right. there are competing interests and the woman's right is restricted. Would have suited the politics better of five, four or five years ago. Right. And right. I think what's happened is that, uh, that, that you know, pro-choice, um, you know, left-leaning organizations have, uh, you know, taken a stand on that and, and their identifiers, Democrats and liberals, um, have have come to see those as attempts to infringe on a woman's right to choose. And so, um, you know, what, what we would have thought of as being, well, you know, can we have an, a, a debate about a reasonable restriction four mm-hmm. or five years ago? I think the Republicans overplayed their hand and 
two or three or four years later, Texas has already kind of fought this fight, and I, I, th I think probably people in the legislature saw other issues that better served their interests than appealing to the, you know, that 33% of the electorate that's conservative and fired up about abortion. So we have about five minutes left here. I wanted to ask you guys, if you have a um, sort of a, a two-part question, does the poll give you some idea about where we are talking about issues and talking about politics going into the 2020 elections first? And then, uh, you know, as you go along, what in the poll did you find notable or surprising that, um, you know, either because you expected something that you didn't see or you saw something that you didn't expect? Um, sure. Uh, I'll start on the, the front end, something uh, that is instructive for 2020. I, I think, again, the Trump approval numbers, um, uh, you know, I was playing kind of on the fence earlier about how I would read this if I were, uh, you know, if I were somebody advising the president. Um, I got to tell you that economic approval number, mm -hmm. um, you know, 54.38 on the economy. Uh, if I were a Democrat looking at these numbers in Texas, unless there's a significant change in the economy, which is always possible, um, that to me is dispositive with respect to how much time and energy I want to spend in the state of Texas. That is, this is a still a Republican-leaning state, uh, an incumbent president with, uh, what's that, uh, plus 16 on yeah. the economy. Foundational issue in an election. I'll right. go to Arizona. I'll go to Georgia. I'll go back to Michigan. Um, you know, now, that number could change, right. but if that holds... That, 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 to me, is a decisive number for 2020. Okay. Yeah, thinking about 2020 and taking the poll as a, as a whole, I mean, I think one of the things that's that's striking in some ways, uh, not, not so much, you know, in this poll in particular, I mean, this is true, in, I think, in all polls, but it's becoming more important, I think the abortion issue kind of brings this up, is just because Republicans have dominated statewide elections and, and, and also elections to the legislative bodies, it doesn't mean that opinion in the state is equally as lopsided. Right. And I think you see that a lot where you see pretty even splits on a range of issues. Now, usually the split then can be explained by partisanship. But I think it's sort of as the state becomes more competitive and if, you know, Democrats end up becoming better and more consistent at turning out their voters, it's a reminder of why you might start to see a different issue set at the legislature than the one that we've seen regularly. And I think they're kind of directly reacting to the diversity of opinion in the state. You know, the the question that probably was the most interesting to me, I don't know if it was surprising or interesting, was we asked whether you know people thought that the growth that Texas has been experiencing is a good thing or a bad thing for the state. Right. And you know, it's a hard question. I mean, just just to be clear, and luckily, you know, about a third of people just said, oh, "Yeah, I don't know," which right. I think, which is actually good. That's what An we, answering while in traffic gets bad. Yeah. Right. No. We <laughs> said population growth. Population right. growth. Yeah. And so, I mean, first of all, you know, people not being sure, great, that's fine. But of the people who were, you know, there's sort of ambivalence. We saw 39% think it's good, 24% think it's bad. Interestingly enough, Democrats think, you know, population growth in the state has been good, 47-23. Uh, Republicans, bad, 43% uh, think it's been bad, 34% think it's been good. The really interesting thing about this, though, to me, Republican men are basically split on this issue. Most of the negative attitudes amongst Republicans towards growth is among Republican women. Hmm. I can't tell you why. But it's just sort of one of those things, if there's one result that stuck out to me in that poll, I mean, Democratic men and women look exactly the same, but if you look at Republican women versus Republican women, Republican women are just have a very negative attitude about the trajectory that the state's on in terms of the population growth. I think I said, I wish I had more to say about it, but. Yeah, I, you know, I think that looking to 2020, Darren flagged the economic number, the second, the second highest rating among the four or five policy assessments who do the Trump was among Republicans was approval of his approach to immigration and border security. Right. Going into the election, I think 
as we watch those two issues in Texas, they are particularly in tension given the way that Donald Trump is handling that because I think he is, he reads a lot and obviously is committed to his position and his, his, his image with Republican voters on immigration and border security. Mm -hmm. Yet the approach he's taken by leveraging trade on that. Now he backed off that threat would actually then create a direct conflict with that economy number if they have to go back to the well on that and he was to actually do that. This now. was the threat to impose tariffs right. on Mexico if it didn't now, throttle you know, me um, trying to get in, coming Me into trying to US. get into the president's head and his decision-making, forget right. it. Right. I don't, you know, can't and don't want to go there. Huh. But, um, but, I mean, there's an interesting tension there that we saw that creates both tension among the voters and in electoral prospects and tension between Republican elites and the voter base, because we saw more dissent from the president's position from Republican statewide elected officials in the state than we've seen ever before when he threatened that tariff. So I think that then, you know, I don't know if I, I don't really have a big surprising thing. I, I thought the growth question was interesting, but in terms of really going forward and tying the things we've talked about together, right. That's a powerful dynamic at the national level. And I think if you look at that and you look at these more, you know, less, in, put it this way, less intense responses to what state level officials have done, you know, I, I don't think that the legislature and the state leadership did quite enough in a, legi- in a, in a non-gubernatorial election year to do much to dilute the national influence on the local, on, on, the, on the election. I mean, I think it's going to be hard for legislators to go back, you know, in Republican legislators in September and October and go, oh, yeah, don't don't pay attention to this hurricane of politics going off the national level. We sort of lowered your property taxes and we put a little money in your schools. I just don't think it's going to fly. Okay. Um, well, let's leave it there. There's a bunch of stuff online, texastribune.org. There's a bunch of stuff at Texas Politics Project texaspolitics.utexas.edu. In particular, you. if you're a if you're a teacher, you give presentations. We have literally thousands of portable graphics generated from all aspects of this right. poll. The, the how we did the poll, the cross tabs for the poll, all 796 pages, and the <laughs> summary of questions in the poll are all up online. I want to thank the pollsters from the University of Texas, Darren Shaw, Josh Blank, and Jim Henson, uh, and our producers Michael Ray and Bobby. I'm Ross. Thanks for listening. Do it. Do it. Do it.